So what's your phobia? We've all got phobias. You know, fear of crowds, fear of spiders, fear of snakes, fear of closed, confined spaces, fear of bridges, fear of open, wide open spaces, uh, fear of loud noises, fear of redheads. That's one I've, uh, true, there's a phobia out there. Then you have a week like this, somebody said, no, wait a minute, we got a fear of oversleeping on Sunday, time change, there's gonna be a full moon, there's gonna be Friday the 13th, and we've got the coronavirus thing. Let's go back and hide in the closet and get under the covers. Well, not so much. Then you come to an even deeper level of fear. Things that are pretty costly when they're unaddressed in our lives. Take a look at some of them. You might find something you're grappling with here. We've got a lot of our, our kids here, so you can see some of these fears are related to what our children are often dealing with, being bullied, or all of us. Maybe we're afraid of losing control, or of not being liked, or afraid of the future. Afraid of grades and tests, or that performance review or of a job, getting a job, keeping a job, not having a job, friend issues, health issues, social media pressure, finances, being excluded, not being able to stand up to temptation. This goes on and on. Maybe what you're grappling with is not on that list, but you know it's there. Our fears can be crippling. We tend, we tend to begin to back away and we stop actually living. A guy named Roger Hart did a study in 1975 in a small Vermont town. And I grew up in a small town, so I know this routine. What he was doing is researching the children of that town according to their ages, how far they were allowed to roam, to play and wander. Now, you, if you grew up in a small town, you know this routine. You can kind of go everywhere. The only condition was make sure you're home before dark. Are you kidding me? Can you believe it was like that at one time? And what he discovered, Hart discovered, is according to the age of the kids, you know, it ranged from the end of the street to some of them had free range of the entire town. And then he came back 1975 to 1985, 95, 2005, 2016, three years ago, so 40 years later, to interview the children and the grandchildren of those same people. Same Vermont town, same size actually. To just figure out how far they were allowed to, to, to roam. And it was basically confined to either the house or the edge of the property. And he said, it's not crime that caused that. There's no more crime in this Vermont town now than there was 40 years ago. It's, it's that isolated and it's a peaceful place. It had nothing to do with the reality, but it had to do with the perception, what's going on in our larger culture. And his conclusion was this. He said, our fear of what's out there shrinks our circle of living. Our fear of what's out there confines, shrinks our circle of living. So when we're afraid, 
we're confined in our living, and that's living with a lowercase l. What about living with an uppercase l? Here at North on our vision is engaging people to be fully alive in Jesus. It's based on a statement that Jesus made that we'll read in just a minute. Where he came not to start a religion, and it's not about just heart beating, lung breathing life, but it's life flourishing life, thriving life to the glory of God. And it is impossible to be fully alive and be crippled by fear. The two are not compatible. And so we're going through John's gospel, figuring out what does it look like to, to live? And we're calling the series Awaken because that's really the invitation of the gospel. Awaken, awaken to who you are as a human being created in the image of God to live every day to his glory in every nook and cranny of our lives. And so today we come to the passage that we started on last week from John chapter 10. If you've got a Bible with you, you can turn to John 10 now. If you don't have a Bible, you can look on the screens. If you don't own a Bible, by the way, a physical copy of a Bible, pick one up at the welcome desk on your way out. This is John 10, 10. This is the, the verse, the statement of Jesus where he states his mission very clearly. And it's where we get that phrase, fully alive. He said, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. There he's talking about the enemy, about the enemy of God, Satan himself saying, I wanna destroy what God has made for his glory. I wanna rob you of your flourishing, of your vitality, of your ability to glorify God. I wanna rob you of shalom. Jesus says, I've come to reverse that curse. I've come that they may have life. It's a restorative statement to restore us to life to the full, life as it was intended to be led. So that's where we finished off last week. Now let's read verse 11, 12, and 13. He already was dealing with being a shepherd. We looked at that last week. Now he says, I'm the good shepherd. Verse 11, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Now you've heard me say before when you're doing Bible study, uh, to get more insight into a text, a lot of times we prefer commentaries, things where other people are speaking in and helping us understand a passage of scripture. You've heard me say before, so here's a quiz. What's the best commentary for scripture? What's the first thing you wanna to turn to? Other scripture. When you're reading a passage saying, wonder what else God's word says about this text and about this word or about this concept. So what we're wanting is more insight on shepherding, being a good shepherd. What would be a text you would turn to for more insight and commentary on what Jesus is referring to when he says, I'm the good shepherd. What passage of scripture? There's a number of them, but there's one that's the most famous text in the entire Bible. Psalm, Psalm 23, turn there. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing as a result. He makes me lie down in green pastures and he leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul and he guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Now we looked at some of that last week. It's what the shepherd, we talked about the shepherd uh, leading us out of our aloneness with his love, our aimlessness with his leadership, our ache 
for significance. He leads us out of that ache with his life. Now keep going, verse four. Even though I walk through the darkest valley. The Hebrew word there, the Hebrew phrase means the, the darkest darkness. The night, night of nights. Imagine what terrifies you, and it's that. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. I'll have courage. And it's not a clever Jedi mind trick that enables me to have courage. It's based on a reality. Here's the reality. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. And you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. So in that passage, it's beautiful, it's rich, but there is a bit of a troubling reality that I've got to engage with to actually delve into that text. And the reality is that I'm a sheep, and so are you. And as we talked about last week, it's not a compliment. That's re- it's reality, but it's not a compliment to refer to us as sheep. Sheep are not the brightest in the barnyard. They are uh, getting themselves in trouble. They'll, uh, they will eat poisonous plants on their, uh, without somebody leading them along. Uh, in fact, I was mentioning this last week, that sheep aren't the brightest, and it's not a compliment. Several of you were helpful. As I was wandering through the four, you're telling me different things that you learned about sheep. One of you showed me a video clip. Uh, it was a farmer in, uh, a sheep herder farmer in, in England, had a flock of sheep, sheep were out grazing. There was a tire swing hanging from a limb of a tree that was on the edge of this pasture. And that one of the sheep thought, huh, why don't I jump through it? Didn't go so well, take a look. There we go. I have no idea how to get out of here. I love what everybody else is doing. They're looking at him saying, can you believe Fred did that? They're starting to come over. He says, let me join you guys. No, can't do it. Wait, I'm going to try. Guys, 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 wait for me. Whoa, that won't work. So the, uh, <laughs> some of you are thinking, you're not even going to hear anything else I say unless I assure you that that sheep was rescued. So I assure you the sheep was rescued. The guy who took the video was the sheep, the shepherd, the, the, the farmer. And he said, and he got him out, everything was fine. He says, I could not rescue that sheep without first taking a video. I mean, he, in fact, you can't hear it. He is laughing his head off as he's taking the video, watching that. May I say it again? We are sheep. We do that kind of stuff. We do dangerous stuff. Sometimes we'll, we'll t- t- take a rest. A, a sheep, a cast sheep, is a term used for a sheep when they're in an indentation and their legs are up. I don't know if I mentioned that in this service last week or not, but all four legs are off the ground. They will not be able to get up. They'll actually drown if it rains. They'll follow another sheep anywhere. In the midst of that, Jesus comes and says, I'm the good shepherd. Why does he say that? Because we're sheep. But when he says, I'm the good shepherd, he's proclaiming something about himself, that he is Messiah. In Matthew chapter two, Herod, 
when uh, wanting to discover and try to find who Messiah was because he knew this was an enemy to his kingship. He asked the religious leaders, you know, where's Messiah going to come from? In Matthew chapter 2, verse 5, Herod asked them where Messiah was to be born. And these religious leaders, these biblical scholars said, in Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, and the land of Judah are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. So he'll be a ruler, but he'll be a ruler as a shepherd, somebody that takes care of the sheep who loves them, who leads them, who restores them, who refreshes them. Mark chapter 6, verse 34, Jesus acknowledged, he said, Jesus landed from sailing across the Sea of Galilee, and he saw a large crowd when he landed. He had compassion on them. Compassion is different from pity. Uh, pity would say, look at that sheep stuck in the tire, and then just walk away. Compassion goes over and helps it because they were like sheep without a shepherd. So he began teaching them many things. And if you're thinking that Jesus' shepherd is like this little Jesus, meek and mild, you know, with a perm in his hair and the manicured nails and all of that, no, 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 no. There's power, there's might for him to be a shepherd with the enemies that we have as sheep. That enemy that wants to steal and to kill and destroy. See the sovereign Lord, Isaiah 40 verse 10. See the sovereign Lord comes with power. And he rules with a mighty arm. See his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. But notice he's not just mighty, he's tender. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. And he comes to us in our aloneness and loves us and in our aimlessness and leads us and in our ache and gives us life. He comes to us in our darkest of darkness and brings courage. How? Go back to Psalm 23, look at verse 4 one more time. Even though I walk through the darkest of dark valleys. So I want you to think about what is the fear? What's the fear at the top of the list that you're grappling with today? Something at school, something with friends, something with a job, something with finances, something with health. What is it? He says, I, I'll have courage. I, I'll, I won't fear. Here's why. For you're with me. And then a powerful statement. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. So your rod and your staff are why I'm not afraid. You're with me. You're with me as my shepherd. And as a shepherd, you have a rod and staff. Any good shepherd in those days would have a club often attached to their tunic or their belt. They'd have a staff. You recognize this, but it, this is important to understand. It's not just this. It's not just staff. It's rod. It's not just rod. It's staff. The rod was for the predators. Sheep, I don't know if you realize this, but they, all of them wear a name tag, and it just says, hi, I'm your lunch today. They have so many predators. One of the most vulnerable animals. Wolves, coyotes, bears, cougars, you, you, you name it. 
the shepherd would keep a rod to protect them. Remember that thing you said to that person next to you, his protection to you. He'll get the rod after the enemy. And the shepherd would also use a staff to say, whoop, 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 not over there, that's a cliff. Come over here, this is where the pasture is. This is where you need to be. Let me gently lead you over in this direction. How many of you are football fans? How many of you are going through a withdrawal right now? <laughs> yeah. All right, so here's the question. What wins championships? What wins Super Bowl? Is it defense or offense? Let's, let's get a church fight going right now. I heard these old, older gentlemen at that cafe I told you guys about last week. Man, they were having that big discussion, defense versus offense. Some people say, defense wins championships. That's what you need. You need good defense. And others say, no, 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 no. You got to have an offense that's rocking and rolling. How about both? How about both defense and offense? What gives me courage? It's rod and staff. It's his protection and his provision. He protects me with the rod and he provides for me. He leads me to where I need to go. So for me to grapple with courage, to take this, a step of faith and trust him, to trust his rod and his staff, I trust two aspects. I trust, first of all, his protection. For me to, in, to be fully alive will involve courage and that courage well, I cannot have courage without engaging with his protection. Now, since we're on the subject of football a little bit, on the, on the offense, there is some defense being played. In the offensive line, there's somebody that's playing defense. Actually, all of those offensive linemen are, but there's one in particular. It's the left tackle. Some of you remember the movie Blindside? The reason it's called Blindside is because the left tackle is one of the most important members of that offensive line if the quarterback is right-handed because he takes the snap and then drops back to throw. And when he does that, his, that left side is his blind side. And so that left tackle is often the most uh, highly paid player on the offensive line. Why? He's protecting him. He's protecting him so he can do what he's made and what he's called to do. What gives me courage is his rod. Psalm 37, verse 3, trust in the Lord and do good. Dwell in the land and enjoy safe pasture. Very important question. Listen up. What does it mean to be safe? Where most of us go with that question is circumstantial. And we ignore safety of heart, of soul, of shalom. We tend to be self-centered in our visions of safety. It's all about me. So I don't really care if you're safe, I'm safe. And if, for me to be safe, if that means for you to not be safe, that's good with me, because it's about me. And then we add on to that a temporal definition of safety, where it's just, hey, it's for right now. We don't think about the long term. We don't think about including eternity. 
And usually it's comfort driven. Safe for many of us we perceive as being comfortable. Yet being fully alive in Jesus is not just about me and it's not just about the here and now and it is not just about my comfort. It's about my calling. And if I define safety as God, I'm gonna rub the genie bottle and I want you to just make me comfortable and make everything okay and enable me to just not have to deal with any difficulty. I've left the guidance of the word of God because that's not what scripture teaches. Safety is far deeper, it's far more pervasive. John 17 verse 11, Jesus, this is his high priestly prayer the night before he gave his life in the crucifixion. He said, I will remain in the world no longer, but they are still in the world. That's you and me. And I'm coming to you, Holy Father, protect them by the power of your name, the name you gave me so that they may be one as we were one. While I was with them, I protected them and kept them safe by that name you gave me. Now, did he really protect them? Remember, we've talked about when John is, is writing his gospel, he's, he's the last living. The rest of his companions, the other apostles, they were all martyred. As far as we know, he was the only one that lived to see old age. So does that mean that Jesus did not protect them? John would say, absolutely not. Because safety goes beyond just my immediate comfort, my immediate convenience. God is restoring the cosmos. It's a long-range plan. John 17, 15, my prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Most of us, when we pray for safety, we're actually thinking of circumstantial safety as opposed to that cosmic spiritual safety against the evil one. Uh, when, I, when my boys, I was about to say when I was growing up, I guess I was growing up with my boys, but, uh, and Arlene would refer to us all, as I've told you before, as four boys that she had, but we would do rock climbing out in the mountains in Colorado. If you're a rock climber, or any of you familiar with rock climbing, there's a term that rock climbers use, it's called protection. Protection is making sure there's redundancies in place to protect you as you're climbing, you're, you're, you're harnessed in, there's a rope. So protection specifically is referring to anchors in the rock through to which beaners are attached and then you've got, you're climbing safety rope that's, that's holding you that you're belaying yourself or somebody on the ground is belaying. And so that python or lots of different hardware fit, fit in those cracks. So let me ask you this. Does protection when you're rock climbing mean that you'll never fall? Hmm? No. You still fall. But the protection means the devastation doesn't happen. The damage doesn't happen. You're, you, you're caught by that rope. And Matthew Chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Actually, you know, instead, rather be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body of hell. And he's saying that if you are not going to trust my rod, my protection, then be very afraid because he's after far more than you having a bad day. 
He's out for your soul, for your life, for your eternity. Second uh, Thessalonians chapter three, verse three. But the Lord is faithful and he will strengthen you and protect you from the evil one. The reality is I'm going through this darkest valley. The enemy is right there, but I'm protected. Oh, I'm not protected from bumps and bruises and broken bones. I'm not protected from being scarred, but I am protected from him robbing that which I've entrusted him. And that's my humanity. That's my hope for the future. That's my hope for being involved in the new creation. I used to take my boys to the zoo. I, my two favorite things at a zoo are the, 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 the giant lions, the giant cats, the lions and the tigers, and also uh, the, uh, the, the big apes, the orangutans. I read about this one woman, she... Um, it's taking her two-year-old son to see the orangutans. You know, they're kind of gangly, and, but they're huge, and they're very strong, strong as seven, eight men. And playing around, they're fun, and the little two-year-old was enthralled. And then all of a sudden, the orangutan, this little one caught his eye or whatever, and for some reason, he charged right at that two-year-old. I had this 20-foot high, very thick glass, but he banged up against the glass, freaked the little boy out, ran to his mom crying. And she said, honey, there's glass there, glass. And so, I mean, he was just sobbing. Finally, he settled down enough and began to venture and left his mom to go back over. And then, but every time the orangutan would start coming back toward him, he would look to his mom and she would say, remember the glass. There's glass there. Doesn't mean you're not gonna be startled, doesn't mean any number there, but what it does mean is that he's not going to get to you. Jesus says, greater is he who is in you. That's what, how Paul exhorted us, than he who is in the world. So the Jesus in me is greater than anything that the enemy can bring along, but it doesn't mean that I will navigate through life unscathed, unscarred. John chapter 16, verse 33, Jesus says, in this world, I've told you these things so that in me you may have shalom. In this world, you will have trouble. We've looked at this numerous times. And what does he mean? He means in this world you will have trouble. The gospel is not an exemption card to difficulty or inconvenience. He says, but I want you to take heart. And here's what you can take heart for. I've overcome the world. The enemy will not triumph ultimately. And there's mysteries and there's question marks and there's things that I got in my life saying, what's up with that God? And at the same time, he says, Matt, trust me, I will get you home and I will bring you out. There's some difficulties that I'm gonna allow in your life because they are going to shape who you are for my glory and for your health. But bottom line, I'll get you through the fire. If you've ever been to the 9-11 memorial up in New York City, you might have come across what they refer to as the survivor tree. It's, just, it's a pear tree that was underneath the rubble. It was planted back in the 70s around the World Trade Center, and it was this beautiful little green in the middle of concrete, and then when everything happened, all vegetation was lost and the, the people that were doing the recovery work and the cleanup discovered this tree was uprooted except for just a couple of strands of root. Uh, all the branches were off and dead except for one. There seemed to be one branch that still had a little life and green in it. Nobody had a whole lot of hope but they sent it to a nursery in the Bronx. 
began to nurse it back to health. Then a hurricane came along and a fence fell on the tree. They started doing it again. And then when they built the memorial, they planted it and there it is. And you go up to it and you can see it's got scars, but it survived. And Jesus says, he who began, the, the, if Paul says, he who began a good work in you, guess what? He will complete it. And no power of hell can come against that. And we can have courage, absolutely, we can have courage. We're not unscathed. We're real. But we can get encouraged because of the rod. But it's not just the rod. It's the staff. It's not just his protection, but his provision. What do you want right now? Jesus wants to give it to you. No. I got tons of things that I want right now, and I don't have a whole lot of them. What do you need right now? He'll provide it. There's nothing that we need that he does not provide. So the, the sheep says, man, I want that over there. He says, actually, no, you don't. You need to get back over here. Those berries are poisonous. So, but I'm going to provide a pasture for you. I'm going to provide nourishment for you. Back to Psalm 23, verse 5. The Lord is my shepherd. Would you grapple with this next statement? You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. What's that fear that you pointed out? We'd like that, that whatever that threat is just to go away. And the image here is the enemy is right here and God says, I'm gonna gonna give you a banquet. I'm gonna feed you what you need. And then we wanna say, well, can can this thing that's causing me fear go away, please? He says, no, you're in a fallen world. These kind of things are always gonna be there. But in the midst of it, it's in the midst of the valley of the darkest shadow, in the presence of my enemies, he says, I'm gonna prepare a table, I'm gonna provide for you, I'm gonna anoint your head with oil, I'm gonna overflow your cup, I'm gonna give you goodness and in love and it's gonna pursue you every day and I'm gonna give you intimacy with me. Verse three, the Lord is my shepherd. He refreshes me. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. John Lennox is a hero of mine. Great thinker, uh, mathematician, among many other things, a phenomenal apologist, defender of, of Christianity, and Google him, some great debates and insight. I, I met him one time through a gentleman named Ravi Zacharias, a mutual friend. And John talks about one time he was interviewing a Russian pastor who was imprisoned in a Siberian labor camp. And he was describing to him the, the difficulty, the horrors actually of enduring it. And as this guy was talking to John, he could see John's face just ashen white. He finally said to him, I think I know what you're thinking, John. You're thinking there's no way that you could endure what I endured. Right? John said, yep, that's, that's pretty accurate. He said, I want you to know something. I, I felt the same way. He said, the sight of blood, I would faint at the sight of blood. And what I had to deal with in that prison camp, 
was astounding, but God gave me what I need. And he said this, I'm going to quote him. He said, God does not help us to face theoretical situations, but real ones. God does not help us face theoretical situations, but real ones. How many of us can dream up something difficult about tomorrow, right? How about today? Jesus said, tomorrow has enough trouble of its own. Let's deal with today. What do you need? I'll give you enough. Enough. I'll provide all your needs according to my riches. He says through Paul in Philippians and through Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, we're told to therefore humble ourselves. Stop pretending you're not a sheep. You're not the master of your own fate. You're not the captain of your own destiny. You can't even control your next heartbeat. Yes, you've got great capabilities, great leadership, great ingenuity, but the bottom line, ultimately, when it comes right down to the brass tacks of the cosmos, you're a sheep. Humble yourself. That doesn't mean flagellate yourself and punish yourself and say, I'm nothing. Simply think accurately about yourself. Do so under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. So go ahead, cast all your anxiety on him. You know why? Because he cares for you as a shepherd. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Do not underestimate what his agenda is. But you understand this. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. So resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you've suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast to him be the power forever and ever so trust the fact that he will protect and he will provide what do you need right now not self-centered comfort convenient stuff but what do you need to do battle with the enemy what do you need to be fully alive to the glory of God yes you're going to be a fallen world but trust him trust his rod trust his staff back in 1881 a 30 year old woman along with her husband and their four-year-old daughter, went on a picnic in Long Island. It was a beautiful July day. They took all the accoutrements, you know, had the blanket out and the baskets. And they were there having a great time, and then all of a sudden the cries of a, a little boy caught them, caught their ears, and all of a sudden they realized what was happening. There was a little boy out in the ocean. He was drowning. And so the father did what any dad would do. That He got up and he ran to rescue the little boy. And as it often happens, the drowning victim brings down the attempted rescuer. And that happened in this case, and they both drowned. So immediately, just like that, she was destitute, had no way of in, providing income, lost their home, nothing to eat, and then people began providing for them. People began, at just at the right moment, when she's thinking, we're, we're done, there would be some protection or provision that would come along. So in the midst of that darkest of valleys, Louisa Stead wrote a poem. 
was turned into a hymn. It was the only hymn, as far as we know, that she wrote. She wrote it in a dark valley when she was experiencing his rod and his staff, his protection and his provision. These are the words to it. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus and to take him at his word. Just to believe him when he says, I got this. I'll protect you, I'll provide for you. Just to rest upon his promise and to know, thus saith the Lord. So if God says he's going to provide and protect, he's going to do it. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust him. And now I've proved him over and over. I mean, he was faithful yesterday, he'll be faithful today. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus. Oh, for grace to trust him more. Because the more we trust him, the more we're able to know courage and strength. As Joshua 1.9 says, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So in the midst of the darkness, dance to the symphony of his protection and, his, and his, his provision. What are you dealing with? What am I afraid of? He says, trust me. I got this. Let me pray for you. Jesus, I'm going to lift up to you every need here. I know there's a lot of stuff. I, I pray that anyone going through difficulty, if, if there's anything that I've said that causes their, their pain or their difficulty to seem trivial, May you erase that from their mind and I confess that insensitivity. I pray that you would give us great honesty in facing our fears and facing the darkness and facing the fallenness, but give us equal amounts of honesty when it comes to trusting you and your enoughness, your protection and your provision. And maybe even if we've got some broken bones, still enable us to dance, even if it's with a limp. Enable us to be able to tell one another it really is a sweet thing to trust Jesus. Amen.